1: The Premier League All-Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Once I'd made my debut at Anfield, once you came off the pitch... I kind of
2: had achieved everything I'd wanted to achieve in football that day. If it had ended then, nobody could have took that away from me. Because that's all I'd ever wanted. My ambition wasn't to play for England. My ambition wasn't to lift an FA Cup. It was just to play for Liverpool. When you walk
0: through a
3: storm... Here's Dalglish. Oh, the goal! What a start for Liverpool! It's a magnificent goal by Dalgleish. Keegan coming round, and Josh Axley! Goalkeeper didn't know which one to watch. On the left, and a lot of space is Barnes, and he's onside. United have been caught out here. Will they be punished? They are by John Barnes. And there it is. Liverpool are the champions. And in the centenary year of the Football League, there can be no more appropriate winners.
2: I'm Danny Murphy and this is Liverpool in my words I spent seven years playing for the club I supported when I was a boy I played 246 times scored 44 goals and won six trophies at Liverpool and during the next hour I'm going to be taking you through some of my memories with this great club
3: When I was a boy I had a dream All about the things I'd like
2: when we well, first game to watch Liverpool was with my dad and my brother. It was Liverpool United. It was about 85, I think it was. I must have been about seven or eight. I remember it for a couple of reasons. One they lost, which was horrendous. We had to go in in a different section. The young lads, you know, it was like going in through different turnstile because it was cheaper. so I think it was about one pound 80 for me to go in, and my dad met us inside. I remember being there really early. We were one of the first on the cop, and looking across. The whole of Anfield, the pitch, the, obviously the stands, then, and, and from the middle of the well, the, the cop as you walk onto it, it was a surreal moment. It was just, it was something I'd always wanted to do, and from that moment, really, even though they lost the game, I absolutely loved it. I, I think there was a there was a mixture of things why I loved it. One, it was the club I supported. Two, it was an experience going with my dad and spending that father and son time, and of course, I was fortunate in seeing some amazing football, which always makes you want to go back and and watch more that was the start of it really got the bug the whole thing about going the match if to get the train you take your packed lunch my mum used to do as a packed lunch me and my old man you know the people you met on the cop there was two there was a little wall in the middle on the left that you could sit on if you were if you were young and there was two ladies from mother and daughter elderly lady probably in her 70s and her daughter who used to stand by us and give us treats and snacks throughout the whole game and got to know them pretty well and you build up these relationships and you stay in the same place it was amazing and then as time went by and my dad was able to get us a season ticket, uh, we had a season ticket in the um, Anfield Road end, which is where the away supporters are now that was a bit more luxurious but it was it was just great times to go on and play for the team you supported as a kid was just unbelievable really <laughs> The way we did it, me. My dad would pick me up when my mum and dad separated. He'd pick me up. my mum and do was a pack lunch, always the same cheese and onion sandwiches. I still love cheese and onion sandwiches now, probably because of that memory. Cheese and onion sandwiches, probably eat them on a the train. So, I'd go Chester to Lime Street, normally a little change on the way somewhere. Get to Lime Street, and then we'd either take a little stroll up, which is a bit of a walk for me as a young lad, or sometimes jump the taxi or the bus, depending on how much money my dad had at the time and then normally spend a little bit of time in the pub (laughs) which I didn't mind I mean I used to I used to want to get in there early and pester him the whole time but he won a couple of pints first but there wasn't you know I'd get stressed about it but we'd always get in there and give me enough time to take in the atmosphere and all that and he enjoyed it as much as me I think because not just because of what we're watching on the pitch because of that father and son experience I remember it was when we had the season tickets. We were just near the turnstile. It was Liverpool-Everton beating 3-1 that day, actually. I think Everton won a lot with a shady free kick, I remember it. But going in, someone offered me dad 50 quid for the ticket. Well, said any spare tickets. And my dad, being my dad, said how much? And it was, he said 50 quid, I'm sure it was 50 quid, which back then was a lot of dough for a ticket. And he looked at me as if to say, I was a bit older then, probably, so that was, I no. know, Probably near a ten, maybe eleven. I can't remember. Looked at me as if to say, "Would you be all right with that sitting next to me?" You know, because he'd probably go to the pub, and then come and meet me out. And I looked at him as if saying, "No chance." And he anyway, he didn't sell the ticket. Thank God. But yeah, that was me, Dad, for you. And then after the games, it was slow jaunt home. Really enjoyed the experience. Probably go for another pint or two, saunter back down to the station, and and get back home. But yeah, great days. So used to love the day out. Loved it. Was lucky in a way i had three older brothers they were all good players but the next one up paul he was three years older than me and him and a lot of his friends played football and so i was tagging on with them which toughened me up but the first game i ever went to with my dad paul came with us and he was a united fan and he used to follow united everywhere weirdly now i don't know whether he wanted to rebel because me and my dad were liverpool i'm not sure but he was happy that day because they won, not even though he didn't cheer when he was on the cop of course but he was uh, yeah he was a united fan which caused a few problems in the household over a time, but the irony is, is that actually, when I was playing for Liverpool, he was one of my biggest supporters. He used to come to more games than most. He was always there. There was a rivalry more when we played, than than how Liverpool and United got on. That was more the comp- competitive edge we had. Not so much Liverpool United. There was, of course, that, but I think he more like just enjoyed the tussle of playing against me. But he was my biggest supporter. My idol growing up watching Liverpool was Kenny Dalglish.
1: Dalglish has a clear run at goal, and he scores. Once Gordon McQueen had slipped, the rest was formality. Kenny Dalglish gets his twentieth goal of the season to put Liverpool in front.
2: Kenny Dalglish, I just loved what he could do. He was so skillful, the turns, the twists, the passes, the goals. I just took a shine to him. I had a seven, red seven stitched on a yellow. Liverpool top. There wasn't any lettering then, it was just the, the red seven for Dalgleish. I even grew my hair at the back, so it turned at the bottom, like a little tuft at the bottom like Kenny used to have. I was very fortunate, I got to meet him many times in later life, and which was some, yeah, surreal, it was, it was a weird thing meeting Kenny, in that I'd looked up to him for so long. I actually first spoke to him when he was manager in Newcastle, and he wanted me because I was at crew, which was bizarre as well. But then it then it led into John Barnes, because as I was evolving as a, young lad. Kenny kind of stopped playing, became player manager and then John Barnes just took over.
3: He spotted John Barnes against Mark Reid here and Barnes gets the shot in. It's four for Liverpool.
2: He became the pin-up player, if you like, at Liverpool. He was winning titles. Watching John Barnes in his pomp at Liverpool was an absolute pleasure. He was miles ahead. Miles ahead. He was the best player in the league. He used to play on that left side, glide past people, put the ball. He was just a, a brilliant footballer and again, I was very, very fortunate. When I first signed for Liverpool, John Barnes was still there. So I got to spend time with him, played a few games with him, which again, it's, it's like walking, walking into the football club around your heroes. took a while to get over that. took a while to get over that. In
3: 1989,
2: I had the misfortune to watch Liverpool lose 2-0 to Arsenal on the last day of the season.
3: But Thomas, charging through the midfield! Thomas, it's up for grabs
2: now!
3: Thomas! Right at the end! An unbelievable climax to the league season. Well into injury time, the Liverpool players are down absolutely abject.
2: That was horrendous. That was a really, really... I mean, I cried. I cried, yeah. That was really strange because it's, it was so unexpected as a Liverpool supporter um, for Arsenal to go there and do that. Irony is Michael Thomas, who got the goal, went on to play for Liverpool and scored a goal in the cup final. But it was a devastating evening. But actually, you know, it's it's funny how the, the disappointments stay more pivotal in your mind than the, the uh, pleasurable experiences. But there wasn't many disappointments watching Liverpool. I do remember that, though. That was really devastating. My dad, yeah, it was gutted. I do remember how what an amazing... A Round of applause and ovation they gave the Arsenal players, the Liverpool supporters. That was incredible. The cop
3: bravely and gamely applauding their heroes, but the winners are Arsenal who've gone across to their fans.
2: I mean, I just followed the crowd, but the Liverpool supporters were brilliant with Arsenal that evening. Here comes the sun. In 1990, I watched Liverpool win the league.
3: And I could tell you that at Villa Park, with only moments to go, it's 3-3. Villa worth 3-1 off, and if it stays that way there and the same way here, Liverpool will be champions.
2: It wasn't particularly vivid memory for me watching them win the league. It happened so many times before. It was expected. It was part of the part of the role of being a supporter is watching Liverpool lift trophies. That's all, all I'd seen them do. You know, you didn't then think at that moment, it's not going to happen again for 30 years. No way. It was just part of watching Liverpool play. If you go to an FA Cup final as a Wigan fan, you're half thinking, this might be our only chance. Watching Liverpool win leagues and win cups, which I did, it was the norm. And I never really thought... That much about it. When I got to 14, 15, and I started really on the journey of becoming a footballer, passionate Liverpool supporter in me, who used to want to be at every game and used to have the emotion, the roller coaster that supporters have, I started losing it a little bit because I was so focused on my own career. I was still a mad Liverpool supporter, but not in the same way. I couldn't go to games much. while starting to play, so it was only really when I got back to playing, when I, when I actually got the opportunity to play for Liverpool, I thought, Wow, we haven't won it for a while. Maybe we'll win it when I'm playing, imagine that, imagine that.
3: Murphy, well, it's his goal, he started the move and he rounded it off.
1: Options here, On is Danny Murphy.
3: That is a quite brilliant finish. Danny Murphy, scores! Well, Liverpool hit with a free kick at this end of the ground last season through Berger. It's Murphy today.
2: How I signed for Liverpool is a very interesting story in many ways because it wasn't orthodox. When I say orthodox, normally you get a phone call or your manager pulls you and says, you know, there's a club interested. Um, they've offered X amount of money, we've accepted, would you like to go and talk to them? So during my last season at Crewe, what happened is I was playing really, really well, scoring lots of goals. And around Christmas time or January time, I can't remember exactly when, I received a call from Kenny Dalglish, who asked me if I wanted to go to Newcastle. And (laughs) I, being me, who loved Kenny Dalglish as I've spoken about, thought, yes, that sounds perfect. Premier League, playing for my idol. So I've gone to speak to the crew manager, already knew about Newcastle's interest. So because of my curiosity, he then told me that, not to worry, I'm going to stay the whole season at Crew. Because we were pushing for promotion, and Liverpool wanted me, my boyhood team, which he knew. So I said, "Well, how do you know Liverpool want it, want me?" And he said, "Well, I've already spoke. They've already spoken to me about you. I didn't want to tell you because didn't want to put you off the way you're playing." So he arranged a meeting for Roy Evans and Peter Robinson, the chief executive at Liverpool at the time, for me to to be introduced to them. And they basically said, "Look, we want you. Stay where you are." Help get the club promoted, and then we'll do the deal in the summer. Now, this was just bizarre to me because I was like, wow, you know, how can you focus all your energies into. I did, but it's difficult, you know, because you're thinking, oh my God, this is like really, this is really happening. So, but then I got on the train, I went up to Anfield. I'm on the pitch walking around Anfield with Roy Evans, looking at the stadium. Now, I used to stand there, sit there, and Roy Evans obviously been at the club a long time. I was done. So he, he, he just said, should we go and get this deal done? I was like, yes. I didn't even ask about the money. I think it was probably half of what Tottenham had offered me, I think. Maybe less. I did not care. I couldn't be more proud and ecstatic about what was happening. Before the deal went through, I had to do the medical. I hadn't missed a game in a year. I hadn't even had an injury, really. So there was no problem with the medical, I thought. I'm phoning everyone. That I'm signed for Liverpool. I'm done. Then I get a phone call there's a problem with the medical. Deal gets put on hold. Now, I've gone from euphoric to devastated. There was a problem with a scan on one of my knees. The problem wasn't my knee. It was the scan, which I didn't know in this moment. I was reassured by the medical people back at Crew that it was a problem, Liverpool, that it wasn't me. So I was nervous as hell, but I was being reassured a lot. It was was the, you know, when you get that sick feeling that you can't eat, you know, when you're tossing and turning in bed. It was a few days of that really couldn't focus on anything till it was done. The reason I had to wait a few days is because I think it fell over a weekend where you where to, back then you couldn't just go and get scanned anyway. So I had to wait a few days. Um, it, was a, it was a horrible time, a horrible few days. So we had to basically do the whole thing again. This is not in the same day. This is a few days later. The whole thing again. So I'm on tenderhooks waiting for the confirmation that it's OK, which it was, then we sign the deal. The first day you go into training with all the new players, the nerves is about meeting them and what to say and what not to say. What do you wear? Do you introduce yourself? Do you try and be strong and introduce yourself? Or do you wait to be spoken to? The football bit's the easy bit. That's where you... Most footballers would tell you that. When they're playing football, they're, they're all right. Because that's what they're good at. There is a bit of nerves because you want to impress, but not the same as meeting them. Meeting John Barnes. Meeting Robbie Fowler. Come on. This is like... I've been watching them. You just you just try and be yourself the best you can be and someone will wind you up and someone will say a joke and you don't know whether they're being serious and it's just a little bit of personable skills that go out the window because of the nerve and you, you just have to get through it the best you can I mean, I have to say most of them were brilliant Robbie was great, Redknapp was good John Barnes was great talked to me for ages, John he took me under his wing on one day we did some running together some pitch runs together which was really nice I was amazed how fit he was you know, compared to me Top-level players, weren't they? And he was older then. But just just a young boy's nerves, really, going to meet his idols, but trying to be one of them. It was amazing. It was like, you don't realise the enormity of what you're doing or what you've done in the moment. And probably the only real-time... okay into inter-training, meeting these legends, training with them, bizarre, but OK, you're kind of trying to deal with it and take it on board. The, the, the time it hits you when you sign for Liverpool is not meeting the players. It's not training. It's the first time you play at Anfield. That's when it gets you. That's when you know. And mine was the first home game of the season coming on a sub. Wasn't a full debut, but still coming on the pitch it was just it was like you're in a dream a bit it's the best way to describe it and just to try and be yourself is really hard and then your debut is the one that really sticks in my mind still because you're actually then standing in the tunnel you're not coming off the bench you're standing in the tunnel this is Anfield touch on the way down you never walk alone that's when that. once you've played once I'd made my debut at Anfield home to Aston Villa we beat them 3-0 it was a Monday night game Steve McManaman Robbie Fowler all on fire it was just it was an easy debut played right midfield but once once you came off the pitch I kind of I'd achieved everything I'd wanted to achieve in football that day if it had ended then nobody could have took that away from me because that's all I'd ever wanted my ambition wasn't to play for England my ambition wasn't to lift an FA Cup it was just to play for Liverpool What happened is the first season, the integration season, if you like, I was on the bench a lot and involved, which was great. Started some games, um, but I was always involved and it was great, travelling, getting to getting to understand the club, the levels needed. But part of me within that first season was not realising the responsibility I had to myself and to the, to the club who were paying me to get fitter, to give more. And by the time the second season came, I thought I'm, I, I probably was too arrogant. I probably thought I'd made it. And there was a transformation going on at the club that I wasn't really aware of with Julier with coming in as joint manager at first and then on his own. And he was transforming the club in every way. And I wasn't at first part of the integration progress because I wasn't giving myself the best chance to be part of that because there was a lot of young fit lads like David Thompson, Stevie G, Cara, Michael, all, app- all applying themselves better than me. And I was relying on my talent, which, you know, you can't just rely on talent. So Julio Julier saw something in me. Things weren't going well the second season. I wasn't getting a sniff in the team and I was kind of getting bemused and frustrated. And instead of doing the right thing by working harder, I was going out a bit more, thinking I was the man, which happens. And he said, you're not going to Ipswich. You either go to Crew or you stay here. So I went to Crew. My old manager, they were struggling, bottom of the league. I started playing. The season got better and we stayed up. And although I didn't score many goals, I played really well as the season went on. and made a big contribution. And when I went back to Liverpool, Hule basically said to me that he was testing me to see if I still had the hunger and passion to work hard and do the right things and, and be a footballer at that level. He guided me and helped me apply myself properly so my talent could shine. Lean on me
3: when you're not strong Gerrard steps up, right footed, round the wall, over the the net, and Steven Gerrard has equalised for Liverpool with a curling free kick header just into the top corner. Steven Gerrard gives Liverpool
2: some
1: hope.
2: I had a few different room partners in the early days, but when Stevie progressed into the first team squad and Michael and Caro were close, me and Stevie became roomies. We shared. The desire to want to play for Liverpool in terms of being Liverpool supporters. You know, we were both um, starting a journey on liking girls. (laughs) Well, that had started long before, but, you know, we were both free at the time. We socialised together, we roomed together, and we we enjoyed playing together. It was a very easy relationship. Although you knew he was a good player, you, you didn't know you were rooming with probably the best midfield this country's ever seen you were rooming with a young lad trying to do what you're doing on the same journey having the same buzz having the same ups and downs I think our relationship on the pitch was good we we linked up quite well me and Stevie set me up for a lot of goals and we know we knew each other's game and we, we went on that journey together me, him, Cara Tomo in the early days and Michael you know there was a group of us who were thick as thieves really and it was nice having that nucleus of young lads to confide in Stevie, as a footballer, didn't really need mentoring. He had this super athleticism, brilliant talent. So when he got the armband, Stevie took Steve, Stevie wasn't a natural leader in terms of talking. He was a natural leader in terms of giving everything on the pitch and leading that way. But in terms of team meetings, talking to talking to players individually, and uh, you know, I think I helped him a little bit with that. Best thing was actually about me and Stevie being close when he was when he was captain. He was in charge of tickets, so that was sweet. We had half, the, you know, we, we had half the ticket allocation between us, me and Stevie. Still to come on Danny Murphy, Liverpool in my words. I was sitting on the coach outside Old Trafford after my phone going mad, thinking, "Oh my God, I've just scored a winner at Old Trafford," and I could see the anger in the United fans' faces and some of the gestures they were giving me, and I sat there probably more content than I've ever been.
0: one size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on same goes for healthcare that's why united healthcare offers flexible budget-friendly coverage for medical vision dental and more learn more at uh1.com
1: the premier league all access podcast is proud to be brought to you by ladbrooks there's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch the latest odds, form guides, and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at Labrooks.com 18 plus be aware.org Ts and Cs apply.
2: Lifting a trophy in football is amazing. You're in it to win it. Everyone plays football Come on. at that level you're playing to win. Doing it with the team you love singing You'll Never Walk Alone, lifting trophies with the Liverpool supporters is something I'd dreamt about, something I'd never, ever really thought would happen. Understanding it in the moment and how you were making history I wouldn't say comes to you. You just automatically think it's going to keep happening. We are
1: the champions, my a massive step forward for Liverpool Football Club. Six years, six
3: Here, Michael Owen again. It's there. Michael Owen strikes again. And incredibly, Liverpool have turned it round. McAllister into the middle. Liverpool win it
1: with a golden goal. One of the great European finals, and Liverpool come out as winners.
2: You lift one. You lift two. You lift three. It's like. Oh, here we go again. It's another trophy. You know, that year, it gave you a taste start thinking, well, this is going to happen all the time. And it doesn't, football's not like that. So you don't really, in the moment, understand how big that achievement is. It's kind of your job when you play for Liverpool. You kind of get ingrained in that philosophy of, this is what we're here to do at Liverpool, win trophies. I mean, the pleasure in doing it is huge. But you are expected to do it when you play for Liverpool. I only really understand the enormity of it when you look back and you analyse and you go a few years without winning one and you think, wow, God, I wish I'd enjoyed that a bit more. But I, you know what? I feel proud that I've done it. I feel proud that winning trophies in, in my career has happened. And actually, when people talk about finances, I get it, securing your family and having wealth, but nothing is will ever take away the memories I've got of lifting trophies. To see the supporters of Liverpool and what it means to them, Being growing up a red myself and then being able to give the Liverpool support, be part of giving them pleasure, was, it was a major sense of achievement for me. It made me feel very proud, still does. <laughs> I was part of the team that came close to winning Liverpool's first Premier League title in 2002, but it wasn't meant to be.
3: History in the making for the club from Highbury. They are the champions. They have taken the title away from Manchester United and they have done it here at Old Trafford. It does not get more conclusive than that.
2: In the moment, you don't realise how close you've come, really. You quickly try and move forward into a positive mindset where you think, right, next season we'll go one better. We've missed out, but we've had a good season and we'll be better next season. The way you had to think as a footballer. Now I look back, 30 years on, you know, it's taken Liverpool 30 years to win the league again. And I think, wow, we were close. You know, that year, 15 games in, we were top of the league by four points. We'd won 10 out of 15, which was good going. You know, and even with six games to go, we were top. We were topped by a point, and if you'd have said to me now, you were six games away from winning the league, I'd feel heartbroken if it was taken away. But I didn't in the moment. I was gutted, because I remember we threw away some stupid points.
3: And off Rieser, and to his own goal! And I do believe it was his first touch! Calamity for Liverpool! There's the final whistle... Just six points out of the last 21 for an alarmed Phil
2: Thompson and Liverpool. And we were capable. And it's really disappointing because I think winning the league, because I haven't done it, must be the best feeling because it's the biggest accolade of consistency for a team and for an individual. And to do that with Liverpool would have been amazing. But I think some of our performances were a bit nervous. And I think the the growing pressure to win it, we put on ourselves really not even from the supporters. There was a progression in the squad and the team from when Julio took over that we all felt. And obviously the teams we were up against had been more successful than us so that there was a know-how in their t- in their squad that we didn't have. I think during that run-in we did, we did produce some nervous displays, unfortunately. God, I wish we could go back and play The title is everything. It's the Holy Grail, really. I mean, it, 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 even though we did well in cup competitions, the priority was the league. You know, I mean, we wanted to win everything, really, like every team does at the top. But, Winning a European trophy is a monumental achievement and, and one that I'm very proud of, but winning the league would have been better. Well? You, scoring the winning goal for Liverpool in any match is special. Scoring a winning goal against United, even more special. And scoring a winning goal against United at Old Trafford is even more special. But to do it three times in three 1 nils where the focus is only on your goal, is just bizarre.
3: Danny Murphy,
2: scores! Plump centre, he doesn't know which way he's going to go, you see Heskey plump himself right in the middle, he just can't get round, there's a peach of a free pack. This
3: is up here, Murphy, and Murphy has scored for Liverpool for the second year running at Old Chaput. And has Danny Murphy done it again for Liverpool? And Murphy, of course, is the man against Manchester United at Old Trafford for Liverpool. Twice before he scored winning goals. And here he steps up and scores. Third
2: one is kind of not as big in my mind as the other two but it, it was kind of like oh here we go again <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous it was still a big deal but it, we were kind of laughing about it in the dressing room after the third one the first one was really special because we hadn't won at Old Trafford in 10 years and we were trying to catch them and be and, and be like them I, I was sitting on the coach outside Old Trafford after my phone going mad thinking oh my god I've just scored a winner at Old Trafford And I could see the anger in the United fans' faces and some of the gestures they were giving me. And I sat there, probably more content than I've ever been. The second one, I remember for different reasons. I played against Southampton on the the Saturday and we drew 1-1. I didn't play very well. And I think myself and Heskey got brought off. It was the first time I'd ever had discontent from Liverpool fans and I was devastated. And I wasn't playing well. And I got some frustrated fans booing me. I got subbed. All I'm thinking is, I'm going to get dropped for United away on Tuesday. Phil Thompson was manager at the time. we are get into training on the Monday and he pulled me in the office, told me I was playing, to get my head together. Julier came on the phone on loudspeaker. He was still very unwell. Again, gave me words of encouragement. We've gone to Old Trafford, done a job on him, scored late on. Stevie put me in with a great ball and I dinked Barthes with a little chip. And after the game, I've walked up there the four five thousand Liverpool fans in the corner with Stevie and Tomo. Three Liverpool people, you know, three Liverpool fans singing my name. And we stood and clapped them and rejoiced with them for ages, it felt like. It. And Tomo didn't have to do that, you know. Me, Tomo, and Stevie. I didn't get burned again. <laughs> Funnily enough, Old Trafford, I made my England debut there. I had three winners there. My second ever start for Liverpool against United was there, and we drew 1 1. And I ended up playing up front on my own because Michael Owen got sent off first half and I got man of the match there. It's been a good stadium for me. I have took a couple of idings there, but not many. It's been a good stadium for me. In the summer of 2004, Gerard Houllier left Liverpool by mutual consent and was replaced by Valencia boss Rafa Benitez. There's a danger here. is
0: first match and it's, it's difficult always when a new manager arrived at the team and do all the things perfect we need time
2: we'd probably had four to six weeks together maybe and I think ultimately what it boiled down to I mean he wanted to bring in some of his own players of course he did like any manager would and I think he was limited as to who he could get out I'm not sure he, he took to me straight away he told me I could leave when it happens in reality, it's devastating. It was something I never envisaged the day when I was going to have to think about leaving Liverpool. just never, ever crossed my mind to think and prepare myself for that day. When I'd spoken to Benitez about staying and fighting for my place, he made it perfectly clear, and at least he was honest, I'll give him that much, to say that whether I did or I didn't, I'm, no, I'm never going to be first choice because he wanted to bring his own players in and he would then give them his word that they would be first choice. The next time I saw him, I shook his hand. I can never say I, I was grateful to him, but you know, I I will never, I'll never have kind words or like somebody who shattered my world by telling me he didn't want me at the football club I love any longer. The day I actually realised Rafa Benitez didn't want me anymore was devastating. It was a shock. It was surreal. It was a really unusual, an unusual situation because uh, we'd been away pre-season and he'd actually been reasonably complimentary about me in, in the press. I actually found out my agent called me and said that they'd accepted offers from Tottenham and Charlton. So I went into training the next day and trained and Rafa didn't pull me till the end of training which was really weird trying to train with that on my mind but I suppose part of me was thinking he wasn't going to say it and it wasn't true. So he just said that um, he knew how much I loved the club and loved playing football but he needed to bring some new players in himself and he was going to bring in a couple of midfielders and I wasn't going to play. I suggested to him that what if I fight for my place and stay? And he said, well, when I'm bringing in players, you know, I'm going to reassure them they're going to be my first choice no matter what. And there's already Stevie and Dietmar. And he basically made it clear that he didn't want me to stay. So I had to leave the training ground, uh, let that sink in. And the thing in football that's really, really difficult is everything has to be decided really quickly. So the next day I was on a flight down to London Actually, the night night before I flew, I'd, sp- I'd spoke to David Moyes because Everton came in late doors. That never really got going for a few reasons. Probably the main one because obviously being a red and understanding the enormity of that difficult transition, that would have been... Yes, I would have been able to stay in the same area. But anyway, that wasn't going to happen. I decided to go down to London and speak to Charlton and Tottenham. Um, when I spoke to them both, it became obvious to me that Charlton was the better option for a few reasons, but... I still wasn't convinced at the time. I That night, um, I was alone that evening um, in London and I had a really difficult evening trying to work out what to do and what not to do and felt very, very emotional about it, to be honest. I probably needed time, which I didn't have because the window was closing and there was a you know, big contract on the table for me. I was going to be playing first-team football or take the risk and stay the club I love and not play whimper out peter out if you like at the club I love I didn't want to do that up and down in my mind of what to do for the best sleepless night and ultimately made the decision quite quickly and felt went with what was right in my heart on the day or in my head I'm not really too sure trying to analyze what went on at the time but I made the decision and with hindsight looking back although people say you shouldn't have regrets I do regret leaving when I did I could, have, I could have stayed another year. I should have had more confidence in my ability and also more confidence in myself that I would have still got a good move and a good contract with another club if it didn't go well for me that season. Hindsight's a wonderful thing and maybe if I'd have given it another year, I might have not have been involved. I might have been. I don't know. And that was the year they won the Champions League, unfortunately for me.
3: Uh, just into the top corner, Steven Gerrard gives Liverpool some hope. Shot comes in, and it's in, it's another one for Liverpool. Oh, my word! Xabi Alonso to take it. Up he steps. it's safe, Pull it up, top of corner, it's unbelievable! AC Milan, 3 Liverpool free! Andrei Shavchenko, the European player of the year to keep his side in the penalty shooter, and it's safe! Liverpool are kings of Europe! 21 years on, they come of age again, they surround Jerzy Dudek at half-time, they were dead and buried, no-one could quite believe this! Alvin Martin, pinch me and wake me up! Liverpool are European champions!
2: It was bittersweet. I watched it on my own and a couple of those lads were really good friends of mine. People I cared about, I genuinely felt brilliant for them. that All their hard work and all their passion that they'd given, all the effort they'd given for the club, gave them that moment. You know, I'm thinking Stevie, Cara, Didier Man, people like that. I'd spent so much of my life, footballing life, with these lads. I couldn't help but be pleased for them. But part of me and the selfish part of me was angry that A, I wasn't there, and B, that the man who made the decision was getting success and getting plaudits. That selfishness in me didn't want that for him. It was a difficult one, yeah? How could any footballer who's just left the club he loves not feel a multitude of emotions during that evening? (laughs) Liverpool was a I'd had seven years there and I never really in all my life thought that I'd have seven years at the club I loved and winning trophies there I dreamt of playing for Liverpool but I don't know if I ever really believed that I, I, I would have had the success I did so looking back I'm grateful for the time I had but yeah I, I do think that I probably could have given it another season just to see then I'd have known if he didn't play me and I wasn't involved then you know I'd have had no regrets, but do I hold it against Rafa? Did I I despise him for a while? Yeah, I did, yeah. I I hated the man for a while. But then I realised that he was doing a job and he was... Trying to evolve the team, and he was trying to do what was best for the club. You know, it wasn't all about me. I don't think there was a big personal issue with it. I think he just wanted to refresh the squad. I saw him about a year later, no, a bit less than that actually, playing a game, and I actually got to see him say hello and speak to him and all, and shook his hand. And you have to move on in football. It's you know, he did a wonderful job, and actually, he was, there's always casualties along the way at any football club. I certainly don't hold grudges now. I mean, for, for about for about six months, I, I I did, and I always regret it in terms of. You know, the, the fact that I blame other people. I, I, I said things I shouldn't have at the time. But ultimately, yeah, he was doing the best for Liverpool Football Club and he felt that, that, you know, they needed fresh blood and they won the Champions League. So who was right and who was wrong, I suppose. But yeah, it was, it was something that, something now I look back on and, and think, yeah, I could have maybe given it a bit, bit longer. Returning to Anfield was really, really difficult the first time. I struggled hugely with it on the first game. Uh, we got beat and I was crap. I let the whole occasion get the better of me. I, I can't really remember the exact feelings I was having, but it certainly had a, a detrimental effect on my performance. There was too much emotion involved. I was There was too many things going through my head. I don't, I don't know. It was, it was a horrible day uh, when it should have been an exciting day. And The fans were great, but I tell you, it did get easier, yes. I mean, I, I went back many times and... And actually, the more I went back, the better the fans seemed to be, um, weirdly. I remember winning there with Fulham. They rested a few players. We beat them there 1-0. And John Honoris was actually playing for Fulham with me at the time. And we both stayed out after because the fans were singing both our names, the cop. It was a really, really fantastic gesture from them. An emotional evening, actually, for both of us. Me and John were in bits coming off the pitch. But, uh, yeah, it got easier. You You start moving forward and understanding that the game is what it is wherever you play after it you know you lose the emotion a little bit actually one one caveat with that it's funny the last game my dad ever saw me play was at Anfield when I was playing for Tottenham we actually lost 3-0 but we were we were really good on the day they scored two really late on that's see it Dirt he's making an
3: impact now all right
2: Liverpool have shown just a little bit more in this second half good pass might be more in the game for them still oh and there is John Arita. We missed some amazing chances, played really well, really good performance, should have got something from the game. Um, and I got brought off about 10, I think it was about 10 minutes to go and got standing ovation off the Liverpool supporters, which was again an unbelievable gesture. But that was the last game my old man ever saw me play. Yesterday, all my troubles seem so far away. I never lost love for the club, never because of me leaving. I had resentment towards Rafa. I had anger, frustration, disappointment, sadness towards him. And for myself, you know, playing the victim a little bit in my head. But never for the club, no. You don't grow up... Being on the cop and being a season ticket holder, going to match with your dad, playing for the team you love, and then lose the love for the club—it's not possible. It's in your heart. Liverpool's always in my heart. You know, I—you'll never walk alone. Plays anywhere gets me. Always has, always will. Going to Anfield gets me. Always has, always will. You know, though that—that's in you, inside of you. You—you you don't, you can't lose that, no matter what. I'm very grateful for what I had and what I've done at that club. Not—I I don't sit around or ever really think too hard about the things that I've missed out on. I, ju- I just feel blessed that I got the opportunity to play for the club I love and also I can look back with pride because although you know I didn't win a league or I wasn't there for that Champions League final, I still achieved a lot more than many other players have in terms of winning things and playing for a huge club, one of the biggest in the world, you never lose the love but it's in your heart.
3: Iran gets a foot in. How Liverpool would love to fashion a winning goal and Murphy!
2: I'm Danny Murphy and this is my Liverpool All-Time eleven. In goal, easy choice, Bruce Grobbelaar. League titles, European Cups, but not, not just about winning for Bruce Grobelaar, it's the character. Remember the knee wobble in the European Cup final penalty shootout that put the other players off. He'll be remembered forever as the greatest Liverpool goalkeeper. Two centre-halves, easy again for me. Virgil van Dijk is in it, although he's only been at Liverpool a short time in uh, comparison to others. Just the greatest, greatest defender I've ever seen. Everything about his game is phenomenal. Partnering him, Alan Hansen, another graceful Rolls-Royce of a defender. Quick, reads the game well, very intelligent. I mean, that partnership now would be the best in the world. Left-back, Alan Kennedy. Unbelievable fullback. great energy, two-footed, scored a lot of goals. Got on with the job, very unassuming. Right back, I'm going to go for Trent.
3: Alexander Arnold! Oh, he rushed it home. A pinpoint finish from a terrific young player.
2: Although he's only been in the side a couple of seasons, he's probably the most gifted fullback I've ever seen in a Liverpool shirt. Passing is like a central midfielder. He crosses the ball like Beckham. He can score free kicks. Central midfield, Stephen Gerrard. Header
3: just into the top corner. Steven Gerrard gives Liverpool
2: some hope. Obvious choice, played with him for many years. Complete player, leader, winner. His contribution to that football club is beyond doubt. Partnering him, someone people... I've compared him too many, many times, Graham Souness. Another leader, tenacious, could pass, could score. To think of playing against those two, being a fellow midfielder is a very, very scary thought because they can both mix it up and they can both kill you with their talent as well. Left midfield, John Barnes. I had the pleasure of watching John Barnes in his in his prime at Liverpool. It was the inspiration and the difference so many times for Liverpool winning titles. He was years ahead of his time, John Barnes. On the right, I go for Mo Salah. Salah
1: steps away from David Luiz, still Mo Salah 3-0, brilliant, brilliant individual goal.
2: I think what he's achieved since he's come to Liverpool is nothing short phenomenal. The goals he's scored, the contribution he's made, the skill. Up front, probably the easiest decision of all, Kenny Dalglish and Ian Rush. I say them as a pair because they're the best pairing I think there's ever been. Ian Rush, all-time Liverpool goalscorer, over 340 goals. And of course, part of his success was the fact he played with, arguably, Liverpool's greatest ever player, Kenny Dalglish, A genius of a footballer who, who, who had the skill, there'll never be a partnership like, never be a partnership like Rush and Dalglish again. It, it was, for me, the greatest partnership I've ever seen in football. Manager, Bill Shankly.
3: I've drummed it into our players time and again that they are privileged
2: to play for you. The man that started the Liverpool Empire, of course. We've had Kenny, we've had Bob Paisley, Joe Fagan. But Bill Shankly was the man who made Liverpool what it is today. Danny Murphy, Liverpool, in my words, on Talk Sport.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18+, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hold
0: up.